Hi, and welcome to Total Rewind, Filmmaker's Compass podcast, where we take a look at movies 30 years and older and see if they still hold up. I'm D-Man, joined by CP, who, if you're watching this podcast and are looking at his video frame, you should have a pretty good idea of what movie we're going to be discussing today. Yay! (laughs) Why are we talking about this movie? April 18th, 1938. This guy appeared in Action Comics 1. His name is Superman. We decided that what better way to celebrate Superman than to take a look at the original 1978 Superman by Richard Donner, starring Christopher Reeve, Marlon Brando, and Gene Hack. Classic film. I mean, it's interesting. This is on Total Rewind, so we're not comparing it directly to, say, Man of Steel or anything like that. But I'm sure that discussion maybe had a little bit. But what's interesting to me, what really stands out about the original Superman, it has somewhat of a timeless quality to it and an earnestness in the form of a superhero movie and Superman in particular. A lot of the things that, you know, we associate with Superman are all here on display and it's actually done really well. But the thing that stands out to me, this movie received a ton of praise upon its release. So it was a kind of a big deal. It was one of the first big budget superhero movies, maybe the first actually. Yeah. And what's interesting is we actually are going to take a look and say like, hey, this got four out of four stars. Everybody was saying it was great. Was it? Does it hold up? (laughs) I think there's some stuff that needs to be discussed because I don't think it all holds up the way it was received in 1978. You know, if we go ahead and just jump in here, you want to go ahead and detail some of the production notes because I know this movie has a lot of little quirks about it. (laughs) Well, production notes, obviously, I mean, we got to start with the budget. This movie is budgeted at $55 million, one of the most expensive movies ever made. Now, granted, in the defense of Richard Donner, 75% of Superman 2 was shot simultaneously with Superman 1. He was intending to make both films back to back. He shot them at the same time. But isn't think, that even kind of weird? Like That's crazy, right? I think of, you know, maybe Lord of the Rings. I, I mean, did Warner Brothers even greenlight Dune Part 2 before they no. filmed one? Like, you would think no. that would be filmed concurrently, right? Yeah. And Star Wars always had the three-year gaps. It's episodic, but really each movie stands on its own. But you don't see that a lot. Like no. filming two movies at the same time. I mean, I think filming one is hard enough, right? <laughs> at the time that this was made, this wasn't today where there's kind of a guaranteed box office for superhero films. This is really the movie that showed studios that these properties could be converted into film in a successful way. I mean, the movie made, I think at the last I saw, like $650 oh, wow, million. Dollars. Really good. Remember, it's been shown multiple times. I mean, there was a big screening a few years ago. I went to see it in the theater again. So that takes into consideration some of that. The point is, it was a blockbuster at the time. It received praise. I believe it received a special Academy Award for the special effects that it introduced in this film. I mean, if we're going to talk about effects, let's get into it. I didn't think they held up especially with the amount of praise they received at the time. There's some aesthetic choices that I thought worked really well. I still really like like Krypton. I mean, there's some shots even at the end of like the car, you know, Lois Lane's car, like going into the earthquake, the earthquake, the fault. Yeah. I mean, the flying as innovative as it was at the time. It's really weird. Because when I look at the flying scenes, some of them are really good. The scene where Superman saves Air Force One, when he grabs Lois as she falls off the skyscraper, the Daily Planet, and then grabs the helicopter. Mm -hmm. I think those look really good. Yet the ones where he's like zooming around after the missiles, clearly just in front of a green screen, you're like, "Mm, 
looks like you're just sitting in front of a green screen. <laughs> yeah, know? I know, right? Like, I don't know. Some of the shots, they just had that kind of vibe. I didn't particularly think some of the earthquake special effects. Some like, of the model work, like with the dam breaking, looks like model work. Right? Yeah, it, it looked kind of like they built it for the movie. It didn't look like it was really happening. I was like, I get it. It's fine. But mm-hmm. <laughs> it does look like a model. Yeah. I don't know. Some of that stuff was interesting because of, like you said, it may have been somewhat groundbreaking at the time. And that's a great little fun fact that we can talk about on the podcast and on its Wikipedia page. But at the end of the day, I don't know that it holds up, I think, the way it was received at time. Yeah. Particularly, I thought some of the flying shots that really stood out to me. I mean, Superman is known for being able to fly. If it doesn't look right, kind of doesn't work to me. It's always been a problem. I think they even had a problem doing flying in the new ones. It's hard to do because physics shouldn't allow it. Really, they should just watch like Dragon Ball Z. (laughs) Just use mimic whatever they do in cartoons because that seems to work. That that was something that didn't really hold up for me. And then the other thing too was I wasn't a huge fan of Lex Luthor. It felt like they played it too campy. It's very almost. Yeah, it's very golden era of comedy books Lex Luthor I mean there's that line where he's like the world's greatest criminal Lex Luthor and considering this is Gene Hackman phenomenal actor (laughs) I don't really think it's a good tribute to the character who Lex Luthor is and the evolution of that character over time he's such a great foil to Superman and you don't see that in this movie yeah he I don't know he just felt a little stock and then again I mean I know in like Superman Returns everybody kind of knocked the whole like oh he's trying to amass land and it's essentially the same thing that he's doing here he's like drop off the west coast and then i'll be the new west coast and (laughs) you know everyone will have to buy land for me i guess but even the idea of hey we're just gonna like launch a missile california will just fall off the earth i'm like (laughs) yeah right (laughs) i don't know it's almost laughable like that just doesn't work for me finishing out things that i noticed that i thought maybe don't hold up when Superman at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, turns back time by flying around the earth, he literally does it in reverse. I don't know that A, I mean, that's even possible. So, I mean, that's just like <laughs> totally made up. But from a story standpoint, I know they have the line from Jor-El where he tells him don't mess with stuff. But at the same time, that's about all we get. There's no hint anywhere that like Superman can alter time feel like if a movie today did that at the end of their film, we would not accept it. My gripe with it is the fact that Superman is forced to choose. A few minutes earlier in the film, Ms. Tessmacher says, I will free you, but you have to promise that you're going to save my mom first. A hero who says, hey, I never lie. I always tell the truth. He promises that. So he goes to save the East Coast missile first. He gets to the West Coast one. It's too late. The cost of that is Lois Lane. Instead of having the character grapple with the decision that he made, which which was to sacrifice the person he loved to uphold A, the promise that he made, but B, the millions and millions of people in the New York metropolitan area. Right. And then deal with the consequences of that. He just pulls that option C, which is I'll just go back in time and somehow save both. And it literally is reversed. (laughs) (laughs) What point did you go far enough back that you stopped the East Coast missile, but managed to stop the West Coast one too? I I don't get it. Time travel in a way, like you said, it's a story cheat. So he doesn't have to grapple with the consequences of his decision or whatever happens. Instead, he can just turn back time, but it also opens up the plot hole. I mean, how come he doesn't do this all the time? Yeah. Like, right. (laughs) It wasn't that that, hard. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, as far as plot holes go, time travel, you and I have talked, especially on this podcast, we've done Terminator and a couple different ones that have time travel as a yeah. story mechanism. It's one of those things that really stands out to me is like, unless it's done in a very, very careful way and deliberately, like 
the idea for Terminator was just, we just need a plot mechanism that sends a murdering robot back in time. They're not really messing a lot with, well, they do late and then we know (laughs) about those movies. But in original Terminator, it's just done so that this guy can exist in our world. Here, they actually change the outcome. So time is a huge factor in the conclusion of this movie. Not only that, yeah, it leaves open the possibilities. Why isn't Superman just like turning back time all the time? And And when you compare it to something like Superman 2, in Superman 2, Superman makes the choice to give up his powers. He then regrets that decision because he's unable to stop Zod. So he has to sacrifice his relationship with Lois Lane and being mortal to be with her. The consequence is he gives up her to save the world. We know what he's sacrificing. We know the consequences of that decision. And when he changes that decision, it affects him personally. And we are robbed of that character choice in this film because he just takes the easy way out. For sure. There are a few things in this movie that work incredibly well. So first of all, Christopher Reeve. Great Superman. As Superman. I mean, he's amazing. He even mm-hmm. to this day, I mean, as, as great as Henry Cavill or how do you say his name? Cavill. Henry Cavill. As great as, as they are as that character. I mean, I'm not going to lie. This guy is still super. And he plays it so earnestly. Just is like, I love this character that it's hard not to root for Superman, even despite of some of the cheesy effects sometimes or plot holes. I'm like, no, it's actually, I love this guy. Well, Superman. one of the things that I think he does so well is his Clark Kent is such a goofball. Yeah. And his Superman is so in line with how we perceive Superman. As an actor, he does a great job of juggling this. There's a few moments even where we see him as Superman pretending to be Clark Kent. And he's very aware of this act that he's putting on. He lets up for a few moments in the film. And it's great to know that this character is so aware of what he's doing. It works. The way they play Superman throughout the entire film and even his relationship with Lois Lane, everything to me works well. He does such a good job. I bring that up as such a high point because I was reading the notes on the film. There were some crazy people as actors that they were considering for Superman that I'm like, that would never. Like, how? How would you do it and not have it be comical? You need a guy like that who can do it to that. I say two thumbs up. Well done. Something else that stood out and it's timeless is the score. John Williams. Of course you're going to say that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I love John Williams. I'm always surprised. You know, I watch Star Wars all the time and I hear his music all the time. But at the same time, I'm, I'm always blown away by like how distinct he is able to make themes for different movies. Even though occasionally you might hear a little bit of similarities at maybe like chase scenes or something. Yeah. He's doing similar things. But I mean, the themes. Wow. He's so good. Yep. And that theme is timeless. You can hum it. You can play it. Yep. It's just as epic and superhero as you imagined it or remember it when you were a kid. I mean, it was awesome. And then I liked some of the visual, not sets always, but like, I really liked Krypton. I liked Kansas. I like Metropolis. They're doing something visually. It has that comic book-esque, you know, is that what Kansas really looks like? Maybe not, but that's what Smallville Kansas looks like. Yeah, I think it works really well. I've seen that was always a standout for this is when he's a kid and he's running faster than the train. That's that's just a great scene. Still love it. Those are the things to me that stand out for this movie. Like, does it hold up? There's so many great elements in this film that you can totally watch it today and it's still awesome. Yeah, some of the effects and some of those plot holes and stuff dated a little bit compared to the newer versions of Superman. I think Margot Kidder is awesome as Lois Lane. Yeah, right. 
he walks that line of that character that's going to get into trouble and needs Superman to be there to help get her out of trouble, which is very consistent with the decisions, the actions she takes throughout the film. Got a little bit of a spark, you know, she's always... Yeah, that's that's the Lois Lane character that we know and love. Another thing, just for the audience, we actually watched the special edition version of Superman, which there have been three versions to date. There was the theatrical release, the special edition, which Richard Donner says is his favorite cut of the film. It's about 10 minutes longer. And then there is Superman, the extended cut, which is just ungodly long and brutal and really just (laughs) is throwing in everything that they ever shot with the movie to take up the max amount of time for a television air. So avoid that. Richard Donner hates it. I hate it. And you'll hate it because there's just a lot of nonsensical stuff. But what I do love also about the special edition cut, there's a couple scenes that are added in, one of which is when Superman goes to attack Luthor's underground fortress. Okay, yeah. We see Superman be Superman, right? He's shot with the machine guns. He's frozen. He's Luthor tries to light him on fire. And I always thought that was a really fun sequence because we want to see the Man of Steel be indestructible. And right, we get yeah. It. You bring up Lex Luthor trying everything. Like, can we acknowledge that at one point he's straight up like, oh, let's get kryptonite. What does he say? Yeah, he reads the interview and he's like, well, so if he's from this galaxy, if this star, then did Deduces that not only did a meteor from Krypton reach Earth, but that by using that meteor, he can poison Superman, which is the greatest leap I've ever heard about in, in logic. <laughs> However, his IQ is 200 and he's much smarter than me. So maybe I'm missing you know, yeah, you know, it, I don't a step know, that in reasoning. Made me laugh. Just the fact that I was like, he's like, oh yeah, it'll poison him. I was like, why? I mean, maybe it would like make him strong. <laughs> you know, it would enhance yeah. his powers because it's from his home world. And, and I don't know, it was just, that's another thing with this movie is like, there's so many things like plot holes and things like that where I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know if, today the movie's enduring legacy and what it did for superhero movies and superman particular kind of gets a pass but Mm -hmm. i'm like if some of these things happened in a movie today we'd be like that is terrible writing it's crazy when you think that mario puzo worked on the script yeah yeah you're like okay you're one of the great screenwriters ever and that just seems like such a plot hole the other thing we need to talk about for a second here if we're talking about a superman movie this is an origin story Oh, yeah. You know how much I hate origin stories. I actually think they walk a very good line in the origin of Superman, considering Superman doesn't appear until halfway through the movie. Yeah, that's always tough. I think Batman Begins does that, too, where it's like you really don't see Batman in the Batman suit until like halfway. It's tricky. You know, we paid to come see Batman. We didn't want him to show up at the end. Yeah, you know? exactly. And maybe that's why the Dark Knight and Superman 2 work so well, because no boom, you jump right in. Yep. Yeah, it's already established. You don't, you know, you can get right to the meat of the story and we don't have to wonder how we got here. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. They actually do a a good job. Like I said, I found some of the politics and stuff on Krypton interesting to a certain degree of kind of wish Krypton wasn't destroyed. kind of cool having him in Kansas showing his power doesn't he like lift up the truck his parents they understand that he's different and all this stuff but I I thought it worked I think it's a good balance we see how Clark Kent becomes Clark Kent we get enough of Jor-El that when he reconnects with his father later in the film we as an audience know who he is we know his beliefs his values we also know the role that Jonathan Kent plays in shaping this character because both of those father figures are important in the psyche, the mission, the worldview of Superman. So I thought they did a great job. Richard Donna shows us how this man becomes who he is. And I think that's really great without 
really tiring us out. It's the type of thing where I feel like if it went on five minutes longer, we would have been like, all right, this is just too much. But I think he walks a really good balance. I think as an audience, we're more forgiving of this because this is the first time we saw cinematically the Superman origin story and it works. That's part of the problem with Batman. In every Batman movie, do we need a nod back to how he became Batman? No, we got not it. necessarily. Not unless you're going to like twist its origins in a certain mm-hmm. way. Like I think Joker incorporates an element of that. But they're twisting it. So it's like kind of a newer look at it and not just the straight shot of Bruce Wayne in an alley with his parents on the ground. There's a couple more things I want to talk about. So first of all, can you explain a little bit what happened with Richard Donner? So they made Superman one and two together, but he didn't finish production. It's interesting because again, what we're talking about in all you ever have to do is go watch the sequel Superman. That's how close they are because it can be so wrong. Yeah. Quest for Peace. Oh, my well, yeah, God, yeah, it's like later. a parody of Superman. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's terrible. terrible. It's terrible. Richard Donner was shooting Superman 1 and Superman 2 simultaneously. He'd shot about 75% of Superman 2. Producers are like, this is $55 million. Cut it. We got to make sure we get Superman 1 done so we can get it out there. He stopped. He finished up the stuff for Superman 1, put the film out. It was a massive success. As, you know, most artists do, there was a very tremulous relationship with his producer, Pierre Spengler. Richard Donner's point is, you never gave me a firm budget. So as a perfectionist, as an artist, I am going to make the best movie that I can. Yeah. The executive producers weren't a fan of the inflating budget, weren't a fan (laughs) of the difficult relationship between the two. To everybody's surprise, they ended up not bringing Donner back to finish Superman 2, despite the fact that he had shot 75% of the movie, despite the fact that the love working with him. And despite the fact that it was a huge commercial box office success. Right. So that's wild to me. Like everything suggests he would be back, especially when you hear about the relationships of other directors going over budget and then they made their masterpiece and everybody was like, oh, it all worked great. And when they brought in the replacement director for Superman 2, Marlon Brando asked to be cut from the film. Gene Hackman didn't want to report back to the set. In fact, he didn't even have a good working relationship with John Williams. So you know there's a problem here and we will dig into this further at some point we will do a movie rebank time comparing superman 2 the theatrical release with superman 2 the richard donner cut yeah we we, have to do that because they're totally different films the endings are wild we see the difference between what's the original vision and what was the change vision one of the problems with superman 2 was they had to go back and reshoot portions of the film since richard donner had shot so much he was still going to be considered the director of the film crazy so they have to give him his credit and they're like get this guy out It baffles my mind. The problem we always run into where we just scratch our heads and look at studios. And for this one, it's the executive producers. And you're like, guys, do the math here. You have a incredibly successful director who just made a blockbuster. Why would you you go any other way? Can we acknowledge too that apparently working on Superman movies just brings out that turmoil because (laughs) we had to get the Donner cut for Superman 2. We had to get the Snyder cut for Justice League. There's the extended version of Batman versus Superman, which once you understand what Zack Snyder's doing and all this different stuff, you're like, and we'll have another podcast. We're going to do that. And then there's the whole story of Superman Lives and the, the production hell that whole film was in for. They decided to 
outright scrap it. I don't know but why. Hey, Quest for Peace, movies... there was no turmoil. It went exactly how they wanted it to. It's so bad. To the point you kind of made earlier, there is a, a campiness and a charm to Superman. And Richard... Charm, that's the word. This movie's charming. Richard Donner walks the line between the 1938 hero we know and love, truth, justice, and the American way. But there's enough of a realism, despite all the things we just complained about, that it passes. I think the problem is in some of those later films, you see how this could have gone off the rails without a really talented director at the helm to walk the line. All right, I got to ask you, then we'll get our two cents on whether we think Superman holds up. But I got to know from you, who do you like more, Superman or Goku? Right there, that guy. <laughs> the Man of Steel? Yeah. I mean, everybody knows it at this point. If you actually look at the story of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, the origin story for Goku mirrors Superman. Yeah. So su Superman never had a tail. Also doesn't ever turn gold. I mean, both really awesome characters. I find it interesting that you, you can have similar origin stories and then they just go in like totally different directions. It's amazing. And can both be incredibly popular IP. Second question, and I want to throw this over to you because you and I have talked about this in our free time. <sighs> When do you think the studios are going to make another Superman movie and get it right? Ooh, I don't know. I think part of the problem is I don't think that Warner Brothers truly understands the property. My complaint has always been they're so insistent on trying to modernize and make a darker, edgier Superman. This is <laughs> the talking points they come out with, making a Superman that's relevant. And I'm like, well, there's a timeless quality to a superhero like Superman that I don't think you need to modernize. And I think the reason why people love it is because he isn't living in this moral state of gray. There's okay. a black and there's a white, there's a right and there's a wrong. He is forced to navigate that world and then bear the burden. I mean, we'll see. Obviously, Henry Cavell and Zack Snyder have talked about their desire to make a official sequel to Man of Steel. Finally see the entire scope of Zack Snyder's vision. It's, it's very apparent that he had things to say about Superman that was not clear in the theatrical release of any of his initial Superman films. But we'll see. I'm not very optimistic. I don't know. Every time Warner Brothers talks about this, it feels like they want to change the essence of what Superman is. Yeah, like I liked Man of Steel. It, to me, the movie got bogged down with reverence. It was always paying tribute to the Superman and the character, and, you know, really dragging out some of the moments to make it epic. But I, I want to see like the Dark Knight for Superman. I want to see him like prime, put him up yeah. against somebody awesome. Yeah. And like, let's just see it go. Yeah, I'd be excited for that. You know, if they got more Superman in line, let's get a little bit of that and a little less quest for peace. Agreed. Agreed. We'll have to so, see. And I would love to know the audience's thoughts on that. For sure. Well, I'm going to throw it over to you. You are probably the biggest Superman fan I know. What do you think? 1978 Superman. Does it hold up? It's weird. I think it holds up very well in a testament and a tribute to who this character is. I don't think it holds up in the sense that when I show this movie to my kids, are they going to appreciate it in the same way? And I don't know that they will. We've now seen the Man of Steel Superman where we get crazy flying and action. And Superman on fire on oil derricks, these intense fight scenes, sonic booms. I don't think that kids now appreciate the original film in the way when you can see one that is very much the effects in the video 
visuals are in line with the scope and scale of a character like Superman. I would say that Superman does hold up and I like the word you use. I think it's for its charm. It really captures who Superman is. Even if let's say you're just getting introduced to the DCEU. You know, what's really neat is you could go back and watch Superman and you would walk away from him and be like, I know what that character is about. True. Like I get it. Even though yes, like Lex Luthor's campy, they had all these production issues and there's the plot holes. I think it nails that one thing it needed to do, which was introduce us to the character and make us fall in love with Superman. And I think it works on that level. So yeah, you know, for kids today, would it be a little bit like a history reading, you know, going back and learning the, oh, I want to know what he was all about. It's like, yeah, if you watch the movie though, you'll know who he is. And even though the movie might not hold up in certain ways, I think they nailed that. That does it. I'm interested to hear what our listeners think. Do you think Superman holds up? And is it a movie that for all the superhero movies that we have, where would you rank it? And would you show it to your kids? That's what I'm interested in. I think I would show it to my kids. I don't know if it would be in my top 10, but it's definitely an important movie in superhero history. Let us know your thoughts and, uh, you know, kind of keep the conversation going. Be sure to uh, subscribe to all our social media channels. We're, you know, on all the major channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and subscribe to the show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, and you can find us at filmmakerscompass.com where we list all of our links and everything like that. So be sure to leave us a five-star review and share the episode if you enjoy it. We always appreciate it and it helps us, you know, rank a little bit higher with uh, those giant tech company algorithms. So <laughs> I will uh, throw it over to you, CP. Take a Thank you for hanging out and talking about Superman this week with us. In the meantime, we hope that you're going to keep watching movies and we will see you back here next week.